definitely can enjoy a day where you don't break a pound and a half and, and just catch fish all day. Uh, but I think for, for me anyway, I want to know that, that there's a big fish swimming in that lake. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, a look behind the scenes of the fly fishing world, featuring insight from guides and gear reps, conversation with resort managers, thoughts on entomology, discussions on fly patterns and destinations, and plenty of fish stories. Most importantly, it's an exploration of this lifelong journey we call fly fishing. Here is your host, Mark Hopley, with this episode of Fly Fishing 97. John Alexander from FlyBC is joining us today, a, a forum of all things fly fishing in British Columbia, Canada. John, thanks thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, I really appreciate it. So, hey, before we get into FlyBC and all the good things that you guys are doing, can you um, just give me a little brief history about yourself and kind of how you, how you got into it all? Well, I, I grew up fishing with, with my dad. We'd go camping and fished a lot. We weren't into fly fishing back then, although we did do, in the later years, fishing with fly, um, but mostly on spinning rods. And, and then after high school, moving away, fell away from it for a few years. And then uh, my best friend, Ed Ashton, and I started to get back into fishing. And one day he showed up with a fly rod and uh, we, we just sort of took it from there been probably 20 years of fly fishing and and really fishing almost my whole life except for about three or four years where we're too busy with the late teenage stuff yeah i hear you there <laughs> pretty, pretty familiar with that so um when, when you really decided to start fly bc kind of where tell me how that all started with yourself and ed ashton like how how did that all come about? Uh, well, we were originally the moderators and administrators on Fish BC, uh, and that forum was owned by somebody else, but we ran it uh, along with uh, Jack Simpson, who was really the grandfather of the, the whole thing back then. He brought us on board to help out with the moderating. Um, and after a while, I think our our interest in... in the community was at odds with with fish BCs as as they were really looking to monetize their their website, whereas as the forum was really more of a community field, and uh, we ended up leaving there. and And at that point, fish BC was was not just fly fish only; it was all all types of fishing. And when we decided to start our own, we thought we would really uh, specialize on the fly fishing side of things because there wasn't a, a website in a forum for that in BC at that time. Yeah, it's pretty groundbreaking stuff. Like I got to tell you, I, you probably know this, but I, I I've been following your site for a lot of years, and I learned a lot. And and you have a lot of um, interesting kind of segments on there, whether it's talking with pros, whether it's classified, whether it's topics. I mean, it's pretty diverse. Yeah, we were always lucky with our membership, and uh, in fact, our, our FlyBC is is almost entirely just a fishing forum. There isn't any website content and. And the community really was the website, and we've had we've always had a, a a really strong fly fishing segment to the community there with some really experienced and 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 some sort of a of the big names of fly fishing in BC. So it 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 grew from that, I think. Well, I can't I can't tell you how many times I pull up to a lake in the middle of nowhere in the interior of British Columbia, and I see that Mayfly logo of yours. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of guys that obviously have uh, spent a lot of time 
um, on your site, and uh, a lot of people are really grateful for the work you guys have done. Well, it's 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 been a labor of love, and like I say, we don't try to take too much credit on a site that comprised almost entirely of contributors posts and stuff like that, but uh, I certainly know what you mean about pulling up to lakes with a Mayfly logo, because when you're launching, if you if you have a connection to somebody else there, even if it's just you're on the same website, you sort of move away from getting the C-list information into the B-list information, and, and that can make a lot of difference in, in what you can pick up while you're talking to others, and, and any sort of connection like that just uh, helps you dial that in for sure. Absolutely. So I, I know you're a pretty avid tire, and uh, part of the show I want to get into is uh, if you're at the bench, and I'm sure you are a lot this winter because it's been a long winter, what uh, what kind of things are you tying up these days? Um, I've been mostly replenishing my my go-to flies. I, uh, like a lot of people out there, probably ended up with thousands of flies over the years. And about three years ago, I, I hadn't tied in a while and sat down and did a lot that winter. And everything I tied went into uh, another box I had, even though I had a full fly kit. And then that following season, I really found almost everything I fished was out of this little fly box, and my big giant fly kit was untouched. So I'm actually probably at the point where I'm simplifying what I I fish with rather than expanding it, uh, which is a fun place to be, I think. So, I mean, are you tying a lot of crannies right now? Are you leeches, what dragons? What what are you tying these days? Definitely, uh, chronomids are, are very well represented in what we're tying and fishing when me and my friends go out. Uh, I would say they they probably account for over fifty percent of the water time, um, and then really dialing in on the hatches. You know, if if the damsels are coming off or or caddis, or dragons, or, or whatever needs to work, uh, those fill in. But crawnies are, are really where it's at if you want to want to be uh, getting dialed in out there, I think. I, I hear you on that. I got a bit of a problem with crawnies. Like, I'll fish them 95% of the year, and my buddies are fishing dragons, and they're like, come on, what are you doing? And I, 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 I'm so addicted to seeing that bobber go down that there's no going back. Well, it certainly gives you some options that aren't available with other types of flies, um, specifically the deep water fishing where, where chronomids really shine. Anything 20 feet and down, unless you can get away with a static or close to static presentation, there really isn't a way to effectively retrieve, say, a damsel or a dragon down that deep in, in a realistic pattern to how they normally move, whereas chronomids staging a foot off the, the bottom where they can they can stay there for 24 hours hanging while the fish graze on them. So, um, you know, we've done a lot of that. Of, uh, fishing 30, 40, and in, in one lake's instance, uh, up to 55, 60 feet deep with chronomids successfully. Wow. that's that's imp- So let me ask you this. If you're fishing that deep, how are you managing to detect the strike? Um, one thing that really has come to the forefront in, in my fishing in the last couple of years is the difference between having a chronomid out there and, and really fishing it. Um, and I'm lucky enough to fish with uh, some real diehards who, who know what they're doing and are very successful chronomid fishermen. And and I started out, in all honesty, fishing other flies and having a chronomid out there and hoping something would hang itself on it. And, and changing from that to fishing a chronomid, uh, an active retrieve, even if it's dead slow, um, 
was was a game changer. It, it makes a lot of difference in 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 success. It, certainly for me, anyway. John, when when you're talking that deep of water, are you are you still fishing floating lines with long leaders, or are you talking sinking lines mostly? Uh, floating lines for for us probably top out around the thirty five to forty feet deep, um, and then anything after that, you're fishing straight down with a sinking line. Right. If you had one fly in your box on a still water in the interior of British Columbia, your go-to pattern, what would that be? Uh, it, would, it would definitely be a chronomid, uh, just because it's going to cover close to half the season for me. It would, it would probably be a chromie, although a uh, black with silver rib would be a, a close second. I subscribe definitely more to uh, location and size over color, so... I wouldn't get too caught up on color if I was down to one fly, but it'd probably be a number 12 or 14 chronomid for sure. Are you using tungsten beads, or what are you doing to get it down so fast? Absolutely. Uh, tungsten beads and almost no fluff on the chronomid. They're usually coated with crazy glue or Sally Hansen's or, or the like to uh, to make it a completely sealed unit. And for, for me, uh, good hooks and tungsten beads are, are just what I tie on for for how much it costs to go fishing these days when you can be driving two three four plus hours each way uh, the difference between a 10 cent bead and a 25 cent bead really doesn't add up when uh, it can mean a lot more time with your fly in the zone yeah that's that's well put I, I totally get what you're saying uh, what about gills or do you have uh, some type of uh, a gill on most of your patterns or are they just straight bead at I would say most of them do have gills uh, we're we're likely to give each other a bit of grief if you're fishing with a white bead, um, and that's just a something to do with a group of friends. That, you know, certain things become what you what are acceptable, and other things that are uh, uh, you're you're going to get ribbed about. So gills, a black or a gunmetal bead for the most part. Uh, although we fish a lot of Chaobras patterns, which do not have gills, and they're usually greens and silvers and light grays. You know, we're talking probably pretty small sizes, I would think. A lot of them, yes. The Chaobras, they're, uh, a lot of the lakes we fish, they tend to be a more of a July fly rather than an early spring, and uh, quite often they're a little smaller. Sawmill Lake here is a good example where uh, small green chronomids in 18s and 20s are, are really what you want to have in your arsenal if you're in there any time after June. The older I get, the harder it is to tie that small. But I know what you're saying. Like, I, I've been working on some 18s, 20s. That's that's some pretty tough time. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's when you're getting down into the smaller sizes, that's where where hook selection becomes pretty pretty important because for a small that or a fly that small, you definitely need some strength there if you're hooking into some of the larger fish. And, and quite often, you know, we're we're trophy hunting, so we're, we're looking for three, four, five, and, and larger fish in weight. Let me ask you this. You, you just hit on something there that, that strikes with me in trophy hunting. As far as you, we're looking at it from a point of view that you're probably on water that is has the potential, at least, to yield some big fish. How do, what, without giving too many secrets away, what's the best way to find that water other than just putting in the time? Networking. Um, there, there's no one answer to that. You know, there's there's some there's some easy answers to that, like going through your regulations, uh, the BC fishing freshwater fishing synopsis, and and looking for lakes that 
have the regulations, catch and release, or, or lower limits, um, looking for fly-only lakes, and uh, also digging into the stocking. We we like to chase the Penasque triploids. They're the hottest fish out there, in my opinion. Um, so we're looking for lakes that have high nutritional value and low stocking numbers. Uh, I, I think you need low numbers of fish going in the lake to grow big fish. Some people will tell you that if you have a lot of fish in the lake and take a lot out, that the rest will grow big. I've yet to see that happen in reality. So, so low numbers, and then just just networking with people. Lakes are cyclical, so uh, a lake that's putting out five plus pounders one year and then gets popular and pounded two years later, you may not find anything over about two pounds in there. Uh, it falls out of favor, and another four or five years, it can be putting out big fish. So you really need to keep your finger on the pulse. Yeah, that, you know what? That's really well put. I I can think of five or six examples in the back of my head that come to mind when you say that, that used to yield beautiful fish, and, and all of a sudden the fish size is down, there's more anglers on it, maybe they're stocking it a little heavier, and then you know what? You kind of forget about that lake, put it in the vault, and you come back four or five years later, and it might be a different story. Absolutely, and and then... And then you have to realize that you probably only have a window of two or maybe three years before word gets out that, that Lake X is putting out big fish again, and, and you're going to see the crowds come back for sure. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a tightrope you walk, isn't it? It's uh, it's nice to see people out on the water, but it's nice to have your space and find your find your spots where, where there's huge potential for, for decent fish. Well, and that's, that's where it's not what you know, it's who you know. And, and and having people that are willing to confide in you on what lakes are starting to pick up and, and doing well is is probably the most important tool. Fishermen love to talk. Uh, you know, there there's a bit of a stigma online about posting lake names, and I, I personally think that's just fine because you don't need to post a lake name to make a big fish picture. It'd still be a nice picture, and and I like to see them protected. We We, in my opinion, don't have enough quality lakes. I think more lakes should be managed for big fish, but that sort of goes counter to what's going on with with the hatcheries and, and uh, freshwater fisheries supported by license revenue. They need to sell those licenses, and, uh, and they've really started pushing towards getting people that don't fish to fish, whereas I think they should be catering to the people that do fish and charging us more. Yeah, you know what, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess it depends on the angle you're looking at. I mean, I've had some conversations with some other folks that are just trying to grow the industry as a whole and saying more people on the water is better, which which I believe it is. But I, I know totally what you're saying, John, when, when you're saying those those Class A waters, those catch-and-release waters, those, those waters that have the potential to yield double-digit fish, we really need to look after that. Well, we probably fish a lot of the same waters, and I think that... When you're looking at those Class A waters, they're oversubscribed. There's there's not many secrets left out there, and it's pretty rare that you can get one of those lakes and and have it to yourself. Absolutely, yeah. And and I think for me personally, that's where the kind of the pay lakes come in because there's always going to be those few lakes out there that are 150 bucks a day you know where those anglers that want that can go have that but i think to to be out in the middle of nowhere on your own and truly have the chance at big fish is something we really need to treasure uh you know it's funny we was just having a conversation with a with a co-worker today about about that and we we've got some friends that just went down to washington 
and we're fishing the methyl for steelhead for the hatchery. And it's been closed to steelhead angling for years now, I believe. And uh, within five minutes, they're into fish. So we, we discussed how, how the pressure coming off has made it pretty incredible fishing. Yeah. No, well, it's a game changer, right? It really is. Uh, yeah, we, we saw that last fall. We had our fly BC fishing at uh, Sheridan Lake, and it had been closed due to the forest fires, so there had been no boating on the lake for, I think, three or four weeks, and it just opened up the week weekend we got there. And uh, it, w- it was a lot more fish caught than what we're used to at Sheridan, and, uh, and we definitely attribute it to the, the pressure being off the lake. Yeah, makes makes sense. I'm going to switch gears a little bit on you, John, if you don't mind. So, I mean, we've talked about a little bit about fly BC. We'll get more into that. Talked about some fly patterns. I, I want to know personally, who's been the biggest influence uh, in your fly fishing? Um, I don't think there would be a single person. We've got a close group of friends. There's, there's four or five or six, depending on the year. And, and all of them have, have really contributed a lot in into not only how I fish, but where we fish. Kind of doing your, you do annual trips to different spots, or do you do you have somewhere you always go? I, I know you, you do a lot of fish outs with uh, with Fly BC. Yeah, the, the, the fishings, we, we have a spring, a uh, fall, and also a summer one with Fly BC. Those aren't usually top destinations. Uh, they're usually in the, so I guess you would call them, Class B lakes, you know, your Tunquas, your Roche. I mean, lakes that can still put out incredible fish, but we have to be careful because we we can bring anywhere from 30 to 150 people to a lake. And f- for Fly BC, we don't want to destroy the experience for someone else that might have chosen that same lake the same weekend. We're actually down now to a rotation of I guess it would be six or eight lakes for our fishings, and and we sort of just rotate between that because it, it really needs to fit a couple of different bills, and there there just aren't that many that really do anymore. Um, you know, we couldn't go to Sawmill Lake here with the, with the group because if I was there and and a group like that showed up, it it would it would really alter the weekend. But I think that's also kind of what's unique to fly fishing is you have that respect for the other people out there. And I'm not saying other other forms of fishing don't have that, but that, you know, there's nothing worse than being on a small, small lake and all of a sudden there's 100 people there. It's like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not even, I don't want to walk across a boat to, to find some open water. Well, that, that's exactly it. Um, and, and that's a big part of the reason when we do our fishings, they're not a derby, uh, there, there's no contest. There's no, you know, nobody's bonking fish to bring them in and measure them. Uh, it's just, it's a social thing. A lot of people don't even fish the lakes we go to. They'll, they'll day trip to other lakes in the area, which is, it, it's been a good balance. Yeah, nice, nice work on that. That's, that's not an easy balance to find. So um, something I want to ask you, John, about is um, obviously you do a lot of stillwater uh, fishing being in the interior of British Columbia, but uh, how's about um, moving water? Are you guys fishing any rivers? I have to admit I don't do nearly as much moving water as I probably should. Um, being in the South Okanagan, we really don't have a lot, um, but I can't even use that for a full excuse because there's a lot of times where we travel four to six hours to fish a lake, but um, 
yeah, we just we've seemed to dial in. At least my circle of friends have dialed in on lakes more than rivers. Yeah, fair enough. So if if you're out on a still water, uh, tell me tell me about your presentation. Like, uh, sorry, not so much a presentation, but what kind of gear, for the most part, are you using on on still waters in the interior of British Columbia? Um, probably the one thing I'm known for is is my watercraft. I I've really become a, a connoisseur of still water fishing boats. So. Um, John boats of various sizes. Uh, you know, rods, rods, and the rest of the gear are going to be pretty typical. I nine to ten foot, five and six weights for the most part. Now, tell me if I'm totally out in left field here, but I seem to remember about twenty five years ago, you may be building a pontoon boat before they were even really available. <laughs> it was longer, <laughs> longer than that. But yeah, I, I first started out in a homebrew uh, pontoon boat that that I whipped up, I, they, they had just sort of first come out on the market. You didn't see them out there. And I saw one in the store and thought, hmm, I can build one of those. So I did. It was it was sections of tire inner tube and covered them in fabric and built a frame and, and put a motor on it. Fished out of that for years. I, to- I totally remember that. And I should preface this by saying that you and I actually, although we're, we don't really talk very often, we have known each other since we were probably, I don't know, 12 years old maybe? Yeah, I think it was middle school, wasn't it? Yeah, but it's funny. I don't. I don't think I've ever fished a day with you, and I don't know how that's worked out. But we're gonna have to change that. Well, I think we both came to fly fishing after graduation. So, uh, but yes, we should rectify that this year for sure. Absolutely. So, yeah. um, tell tell me a little bit about what do you do for day job, and when you're not doing fly BC stuff, you're not out in the water. Um, how do you make a living? Uh, I have a print shop here in Summerland. We do screen printing, embroidery. Uh, also a full-service sign shop, and then I do a process called pad printing, which is printing onto small objects. Um, and one of our, our mainstays at, at work is printing onto wine glasses. We do most of the wine glasses for local wineries and the wine fests and such. I did not know that. Interesting. Um, well, you'll have to come out and give us a visit here in Summerland. It's only about 12 minutes away, so I think I think we can make that happen. So um, I want to get back a little bit to, to fly fishing on interior water. So how long before you're, you're launching a boat? Uh, you know, typically April 1st is the day for me. Um, quite often sawmill is ice off there, but I, I tend to head to Vassaw. Um, it, it actually has a pretty decent rainbow and kokanee population that... that uh, it fish fairly well early, early on in the year, and uh, beautiful, beautiful rainbows in there, and, and some decent kokanee too. And then, of course, there's always a lot of different bass and sunfish. But for me, that doesn't really come on till later in the year. I got, I got to be honest with you. I was there on Friday, um, and uh, it was a little slow. But uh, the nice thing about that lake too is there's no motorized boats on it, so it kind of keeps most people off. Yeah, no, it, it definitely reduces pressure. I would like it if they let me use a motor on it, but uh, <laughs> definitely having to row cuts down on the traffic there, and especially at Valley Bottom Lake, it, it can get some pretty serious winds, especially through the spring. Well, that's that's one thing I really find fishing uh, in general in the interior of British Columbia. The wind is always almost always a factor, and and so how do you, how do you deal with that? Is it is it a gear thing? Is it just getting out early in the morning? What what's your tactic for for that? Well, I would say probably ninety percent plus of my stillwater fishing is done double anchored, um, and once you're doubled anchored, in, unless it's absolute hurricane force winds, you're fishing with the wind, not against it. 
and uh, and as long as you have a reasonably consistent wind direction, it, it's your friend, not your foe. Um, in fact, for chronomid fishing, a little bit of a chronomid chop seems to be a bonus for for presentation too. Yeah, no, I, 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 that's totally makes sense. I mean, the, the double anchor system that is uh, pretty widely used now, it sure it sure keeps you in place. And as long as you're, especially if you're fishing with strike indicators and whatnot, you really want to use that wind in your favor. Yeah, it can turn us mediocre casters into heroes on some days. <laughs> I'm going to quote you on that. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, totally uh, out in left field here. If you could change one thing about our sport, fly fishing, what would it be? I would triple the number of quality fisheries or f- fisheries managed for, for quality over quantity. Yeah, that's that's interesting. You're right. I mean, it, although it has gotten better over the past 15, 20 years, you think of it, uh, there were no, I don't remember anything uh, such thing as catch and release lakes back in the day. Um. Not, not so much, and and I, I agree that that I think things are moving in the right direction now, and and certainly those making the decisions have pressures other than just my whims uh, on them to to do it, and and I think generally they do a very good job. But selfishly, personally, we we scour the bottom third of this province looking for big fish, and I know a lot of people. Matter of fact, most of the people that fly fish the most, that's what they're doing. If a lake's known to put out big fish, it's busy. Um, whereas if, yep. if you know a lake that's got, you know, 10 inches all day, every day, it's not busy. So I think that I think that big fish would get people into the hobby too. Do you ever find that, okay, so maybe I don't catch as many fish as, as you and your guys, but Sometimes it's like, okay, I've been trying for this double-digit fish now for a while. It's not happening. I just need to feel the rod bend. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And nothing's better than going out and getting the skunk off the boat early to take a bit of the pressure off you. Um, And that doesn't have to be a 10-pound fish. It could certainly be a small one. And definitely can enjoy a day where you don't break a pound and a half and and just catch fish all day. Uh, But I think, for, for me anyway... I want to know that that there's a big fish swimming in that lake, and there's a lot of lakes that you can go to, and and you after a while get the feeling that you know what I'm not going to break twelve or fifteen inches on this lake, and and at at some point that becomes boring to me. I think. Yeah. No, I I understand that. I mean, you're looking for. I don't. It, it's great to catch one two pound fish, but it's nice to have at least the knowledge that you have a shot at something big. Absolutely. And and I tell you, several of the lakes we go to, if we get four or five guys there, the odds are one or two of them are going to get skunked, but everybody's got a shot at, you know, a five, six, seven, or eight-pound fish, and that's why we're going there. Right. And and it does get, you know, on, on those lakes that are stocked fairly heavy, after a while, let's face it, it does get... I don't want to say boring, but it's too predictable. And, and, and let's face it, that's one great thing about our sport is is you want it to be unpredictable. If you knew what was going to happen every time you threw a line out, it's, that's no fun. Well, that's the old line. That's why they call it fishing, not catching. Um, and and I think that, I think that the, the fishing community has changed, too. I remember growing up where people asked how you did, and, and the best answer was we limited out. And you don't hear that so much. I know that there's still people out there that 
that love to eat fish and harvest a lot and, and go to the lake specially designed for that. But I think that there's a, a very large community of fishermen out there that it's it's not a it, they they go home with an empty cooler more often than not and and that's not the point anymore for them. I don't think I've eaten a rainbow trout in probably five years. I wish I liked it more because it's such a great healthy food and I'm out there doing it anyway. But I don't mind eating a bit. But I'm not a I'm not a big big meal of nothing but trout kind of guy. More like a little trout on the side with some other things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, somebody wants to find, say they haven't been following Fly BC, but uh, I tell you, you should be, if you want to know what's going on in the province of British Columbia, how do they access your site? Uh, it's really simple. It's www.flybc.ca, uh, and it's a discussion forum on there that you'll want. Most of the content is available to look without registering. I think only the classifieds and maybe the Ask the Pros section require registration. Registration is free. We do not use your information for anything ever. It's simply there to, if you want to contribute and log in, uh, that's all it's that's all it's ever used for. Also, we've got a very large Facebook presence now, which is FlyBC, and uh, and that's probably become even busier than the forum in the last few years, as as people's tastes in, in, in internet and online usage seem to switch more to social media, so we fold with that too. It's ever-evolving, isn't it? I, what, what year did you start your, your FlyBC website? Uh, that was 2006. Wow, so you, you guys have been at it a while. Yeah, yeah, it's been, uh, well, it'll be going into 12 years now. Uh, I think it was around June or July, I can't remember exactly, I'd have to look it up, but uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been a lot of fun, and I I, I've met so many great people, and and people. Most of my inner circle of fishing friends are have been met through online, and and just meeting them and and finding out we've got similar interests, and then developing the friendship from there. So it's it's been fantastic that way. Well, John, I want to thank you for uh, taking the time. I know you're a busy guy, and uh, keep up the good work with with Fly BC. And uh, thanks again for coming on today. Well, Thank you very much, Mark, for having me, and let's make a point of getting out and uh, sharing a shoal this year. Absolutely. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you would like to hear on the show. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines, and we'll see you on the water.